Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to Hub City Homers. This is episode number 67. I'm back after a brief hiatus due to just life. Um, This is actually going to kind of be a unique episode. I'm here with Jack and Kendall. I'm going to be on the show for the first 30 minutes, then unfortunately I have to step away to work. Um, So more of those guys are going to continue on after that first 30 minutes until they reach a satisfying conclusion. But have no fear, the three of us will be here and hopefully we can get all four of us on an episode in the very near future. Um, We're still in the middle of basketball season, as unfortunate as that may be at this time. We are creeping closer to baseball and softball. Softball in particular is up in a few days, baseball shortly after. We'll have a preview article up soon on that. As of our recording, I believe it's scheduled for tomorrow, so be on the lookout for that if you have not read it as of the time this episode drops. Um, We're going to talk a bit less about the on-court results. We still will. Um, We're still going to bring you guys the details of what's going on. But at this point, it really is the same story every week. You know, it's the same issues, turnovers, uh, free throws, lack of finish, lack of intensity for stretches of the game, giving up runs, inability to sustain pushes, um, a horrible offensive system, a a team that just doesn't seem to get rebounding, um, bad rotations. I mean, these are things we've hammered home over and over and over and over again week in and week out. And I think you guys are tired of hearing about it and we're tired of talking about it. So let's focus more on some more interesting to the wrong word because it's kind of depressing, but some other areas of focus. And the first one is the actual state of Mark Adams's job. You know, if you had told me that after the sweet 16 run last year, we even have to entertain this question. I would have told you you're out of your damn mind, but you know, there is some rumblings that there are things going on even outside of the program on the hardwood that are, troubling to say the least and have people question whether or not it's worth bringing him back for a year. I'm going to get the guy's take on that. I'll start with Jack. Jack, I'll just, you know, take this question kind of however direction you want to, but the question has to be asked. Is Mark Adams safe for another year if the results continue as they are, considering the likelihood that like the best case scenario is maybe another couple Big 12 wins? Uh, I, I truly think that he is. Um and for me, where we go from here is that, I guess, my reasoning behind it. 
is going to be the fact that, um, you know, in my opinion, everyone has down years. Um, everyone here has a bad day at work. You know, uh, we mess something up in the numbers or, uh, you know, you do something wrong at work. But you're not fired first time for doing that. And I mean, unless it's like epically bad, something like in the equivalent to college basketball, what's going on in at Louisville. Um, I think that everyone has down years. And so it's just a matter of when. And I think this is kind of our, this is our little stretch right here. Um, I don't, I don't really think that you can fire him after two seasons, one of them being a sweet 16 and the other just being a down year. Um, this is just a, I think this is just an underwhelming, uh, young roster. Um, I guess underwhelming is the wrong word. A young roster, and I think the Big 12 is probably right now as good as it's been in quite some time, um, just through and through, meaning every single team. You know, we always talk about every year how, you know, anyone can win on any given night. Well, this year it's been proven already uh, that the last place team can beat the first place team on any given night. And I think this is really truly the first season that we didn't have you know, like a really basement dweller team. Um, anyone can trip up anyone. Um, if you want to get into the more technical stuff off the court, um, Mike, I think you and I talked about this uh, for a little bit. Um, I don't think you can fire him after this year, basically because if you're Kirby Hoka, you're admitting that another one of your, um, your own in-house hires that you... I mean, let's be blunt about it. You jumped the gun and extended him after one season, which was completely unnecessary. Um, you'd have to admit that you got it wrong again. And it's the same shit. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm cool with extensions of coaches when they deserve it. But if you're going to hire a coach for six years on a six-year deal... I really don't think that you need to extend them after the first season. It doesn't make sense to me. You can give them a raise. I mean, granted, you you have to restructure it, but I don't think making a big deal about an extension deal and, you know, coming in with all this extra stuff, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But, like I said... I think if you're Kirby Hogan, you'd have to admit that you got another one wrong. And um, as much as I hate to say it, even after the fact that so far he's gotten the Joey McGuire and football situation handled for now, um, I don't think that uh, he really has a whole lot of leash left when it comes to uh, coaching hires. Um, I, I think... I'll talk about it later, but I think Krista Gerlich has been a great hire for the women's team. It took a little bit of time, and it's take, but they're on the up. Um, you know we'll learn about how Snyder handles his stuff on the softball field. Um, and I think Tadlock, I mean, obviously Tadlock's been here. So um, I, I really think that he really can't afford to get it wrong again. Um, and... I hate to say it, and I know that everyone might be thinking it. Some people might not be thinking it. Um, last time we brought in a coach that really wanted to be, quote-unquote, wanted to be at Tech, 
and turned a program around was gone in three years because our guys couldn't even fucking keep them. So um, we also have that to tout on the resume as well. Again, I, I really think that Kirby Hoka is a good AD overall. Uh, I think he's gotten unlucky with some stuff. Um, but I also think that he's been really quick to jump the gun on certain things at times. And I think that that would uh, just kind of diminish his overall resume uh, at Tech if he had to admit fault and uh, admit wrongdoing once again on another head coach. Let's, let's let's be clear here, right? Like Kirby has not made a successful hire really in basketball or football in his career that has ended well. Um, you know that that there's Miami. He did not hire well at Tech. He hired Matt Wells and extended KK way too early in both instances. Those both blew up in his face. We're hoping Joey McGuire is different. We're hoping he breaks the trend. It looks like he will, but we can't say that definitively. Yes, because we thought this about Mark Adams and. I call it bidding against yourself is what Jack was talking about, where you extend a coach after success. You're extending it because of a great year. Here's the problem with that. This isn't a fucking charity or a participation trophy. He threw real money into an extension where nobody was sniffing around the coach. No one. Look, I understand giving a guy more money. I do. But after one year in which no one at all was looking to hire Mark Adams, nor will anyone ever look to hire Mark Adams from Tech, it's not going to happen based on his history, based on his track record, based on his background. It's never going to happen. You're just you're creating a larger buyout to deal with. Now, here's my pet peeve with this shit. It'd be one thing if I thought the reason Mark Adams was fired is because we're overreacting to one really bad year. Because that's my thing. I you, firing a coach after one successful season and one bad season is just makes no sense to me, right? Because you're going to have to bring somebody in. You're going to have to hope that they can play the NIL portal game, blah, 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 and rebuild on the fly. And that's just as risky as giving a guy a third year. So what's going to happen where this fire will be made is it's going to be made because the donors are mad. There was a thing I tweeted about in Red Raider Sports. The uh, the message board's been blowing up with all these comments. Here's the here are two things about that I want you to remember, guys. First and foremost, these conversations that these donors talk about, the things that they're complaining about, those are private inherently. You have no business knowing that. And I don't mean that in the sense like it's some sort of secret. I mean like they have to tell you that that's happening because you wouldn't know otherwise. Which means that they are deliberately dropping hand grenades into the program to blow it up. That's what they're doing. They could keep this shit to themselves. They're not doing it because they have an agenda. I, I don't understand why people look at this and think these guys always operate altruistically because they give money to tech. No. They bought influence. They want to use it. The number one way they can guarantee they have influence is that they put public pressure on the head coach to listen to them. And they put public pressure on Kirby to resolve a situation they don't like. And how do you do that? You destabilize the program as much as possible. That's what the fuck they're doing. And I think that's shitty. I do. And I know everyone's like, well, these guys give so much money. I get all that. I don't think they're bad guys for wanting influence. What I think they are bad guys about is they are intentionally inflicting harm on the program to prove a point effectively. They don't like how they're being treated. That's what this is. Right, wrong, or indifferent, that's what this boils down to. Mark Adams is paid to coach basketball, not deal with the donors. Granted, this is college sports. A coach who can't play the game with their with his money and his bagmen is not going to be long for it. And I understand 
I, I don't know how much of this crap's true or not, but like what I'm saying is, is when you see it, when you read it, don't just think, well, these guys are just reporting what's going on. No, they want you to be pissed. They want you to try to force Kirby to do something, and that something is to step on Mark Adams. That's what they want. They're not putting this shit out here just to vent. They're putting it out there because they know it hurts the program, it makes Mark Adams look bad, and it creates a pattern of behavior for Kirby to make a move after the season. That's what frustrates me the most. The second thing about that is the programs that fail, the athletic departments that have the most problems, let this shit happen regularly. I don't know if this is a Mark Adams program or a tech donors program. I don't really care. It's dysfunctional at the highest level that we have to even talk about it, that we're seeing it at all. And we wouldn't see it if we were winning is what really pisses me off. These guys know they have leverage right now because the program's in a tough spot, and they're taking advantage of that. Uh, you know, And Mark Adams is just as to blame for this, right? If he coached better, if he wasn't such a dick behind the scenes, this wouldn't be a problem. It's dysfunctional. But well, my problem is Mark Adams isn't the guy airing this crap out for everybody to see in order to prove a point, right? And look, I don't know what's best for the long-term health of this program. That's what we pay Kirby to do. He makes a lot of money. I mean, he's like the third highest paid athletic director nationally. He makes a tremendous amount of money to make these decisions. But you know who the fuck I don't want to make it? Kirk Knowles, I don't want uh, a Womble making these calls. I don't want Cody Campbell making these calls because these guys are fantastic businessmen, great tech alums. They love this university and they want it to win. But not one of these guys was hired by the university to make sporting decisions. But the guy who is can get overruled because of the influence they have, right? Because here's the thing. Dustin Womble is a great tech grad has given much to this program, deserves all the praise he can get for being as altruistic as he is. But you know what? He probably doesn't have a basketball mind any better than any other fans. This is my thing. Money doesn't buy better fandom. It's what we would all do if we were all successful. You should be happy these guys are willing to put their money where their mouth is, but you should not want them running your athletic department. They buy influence, not the right to make the final decisions. And right now, it sounds a lot to me like they're kind of pissed off because they're not getting to make the final decisions. And in the midst of a losing season and the NIL bullshit going on, um, I, I think they're pulling – I think they're put using that leverage to make – to force a decision, and that frustrates me. That frustrates me deeply because that is a slippery slope. NIL is important, but shit, if you start handing the boosters control more and more, look what happened to Auburn. Football went from relevant to a dumpster fire on the back of this. Texas has not achieved anything since Mac Brown lost control of the boosters and no longer was able to manage them, and now they've had a rotating clown car of coaches trying to deal with that. Look at their basketball program. It's a joke how underachieving they've been, and it's because of the culture around their boosters and donors and the people who have their hands in the program. I think Tech has been fortunate that our boosters have largely been quiet. It worries me that they're loud now. I agree. It's a bit of a red flag. I don't know what's going on truly behind the scenes. Nobody does but those guys and Mark Adams and Kirby. But here's what I'm saying. These rumors are out there for a reason. If we were winning, you wouldn't hear them, and it is not about what's going on in the hardwood. And if these guys are actually shutting their pockets and trying to force Mark Adams out, maybe it's for the best of the program, but it just as easily could not be. So don't make decisions just because rich guys are telling you this is the right way to play it because they don't know any more than you do. They don't. They don't know shit more than you do. And here, like Cody Campbell played college football. He ain't a college football coach. If you started making those decisions, you'd be scared as hell, right? Like th these guys, they're brilliant businessmen, great tech alumni, very successful. We should all be thankful that they're they're willing to help out the university, but don't hand them the controls of the the, the apparatus that's making these decisions. You know, don't let yourself become Texas.
that will kill what little success tech is having in these major sports. You know, football's just now getting it together. We don't need to poison the well. We don't need to, we just don't. So that's my two cents on this. And this is part of college sports. You know, I don't live in a fantasy world. I'm well aware that my altruistic beliefs about what donors shouldn't, shouldn't do. For instance, I'd be happy. These guys cut a check and shut their mouths, but that's not going to happen. But there's a, there is a fine line between who's writing the checks and how much influence that's buying and then the final decisions being made. I am concerned Tech is about to make a decision too soon because of guys who shouldn't have con- their hands on the pulse of the program right now are going to force it. And look, if that happens, we just have to pray it works out. That's it. You know, Kirby's going to listen to who he listens to, and we're going to do – Tech is going to do what it's going to do. So as fans, we just have to hope that the right decision gets made for the right reasons. Kendall, this brings me to another point because it's one I've had this discussion with people about the importance of money and boosters and blah, blah, blah. And it's about recruiting with Mark Adams. Um, there is a concern about roster management this offseason. Obviously, this season's kind of a foregone conclusion, barring a miraculous run or a win in the Big 12 tournament. Um, Tech will not likely even make the NIT. So that means that retaining your young talent becomes critical and bringing in new pieces to build around them becomes critical. There are concerns that the, 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 the kind of breakdown between the money donors and Mark Adams is going to kill recruiting. And I have to talk, I just want to get your, get your two cents on where we stand on the recruiting front and how worried are you about the state of the future of recruiting for tech? I mean, with how big NIL is with, mostly transfer recruiting at this point um that does worry me and it'd be so stupid because as far as the donors go if they like let's be real the reason we got Fardaz AMAC was because of NIL if you take that NIL away it's going to be very difficult to get to persuade some talents to come here like AMAC is a guy from Canada and very west side of Canada at that rate. He very easily could have went closer to home, but he came to Tech partly for basketball reasons and partly for NIL reasons. But the thing that, like, if we are taking money away from the program because of personal beef or personal issues between the donors and a coach, like, that just shows me that the donors don't necessarily want what's best for the school. They want what's best for them as far as relationships go. They want a coach that they can go be all buddy-buddy with. And from what goes around the rumors, like it doesn't seem like Mark Adams is that guy. And whether that's good or bad, we don't necessarily know that. But like that, if they start taking away NIL money from the program. They're only hurting the school and they're only hurting the program. So it, it kind of just goes against, it kind of proves your point that they kind of would be all in it for themselves and not necessarily wanting the best for the school. And, you know, and as far as recruiting goes, I don't want to hear the BS that Mark Adams you know, can't recruit. If he starts losing recruits, we know Mark Adams can recruit. Like, if we go back to when Chris Beard left, think about the dudes Mark Adams has already brought into this program. He got Bryson Williams, Kevin O'Banner, Daniel Bacho, Adonis Arms, Davion Warren, 
Malik Wilson all within the span of what a couple months after Chris Beard left he was able to get all those guys when the program was in complete turmoil and then take that team and take them to a sweet 16 we know this guy like we've seen it we all know that like he can coach that what happened last year wasn't a fluke it would have been a fluke if it would have been all returning players and they would have just you know went on a big run with the same guys that were there the year prior but it wasn't and that's why I'm struggling to wrap my head around so many fans that want to sit here and try to push Adams out because we're having a bad year. We're having a bad year, but look at who Adams even brought in from the portal this year. Like he got AMAC, but AMAC hasn't played. Like we, Mark Adams really can't do much about that. You know, Fardow's AMAC was supposed to be the cash cow, he was supposed to be your Bryson Williams guy, and he hasn't been on the court. That takes away, you know, he was he at uh, Utah Valley, he averaged 19 and 13. I'm not saying he's going to do that with Tech, but, you know, that's a big guy that you're missing that's probably your leading scorer right now if he's in. You know, and then you have other guys like Kerwin Walton, Damarian Williams, uh, Davion Harmon that have all come in. Uh, Harmon if we're being real, Harmon's probably the reason that we even have 12 wins at this point, much less, you know, post like the only reason we've been in some games, especially last night was because of Davion Harmon. Like, it's not like we're sitting here dealing with a coach that, you know, can't coach and a guy that can't get guys into the program. Cause it's just not true. Cause look at the recruiting class he brought in. He brought in pop Isaacs, which, I think Isaacs was being recruited by Beard too beforehand, but he retained him after he decommitted and then got him to recommit. He got Jalen Tyson back from Texas. Like we know that Mark Adams can recruit. And I think we've been pretty proven. Like these dudes want to play for Mark Adams. Listen to what they say in press conferences and just look at the videos that have been posted of that locker room when they win. Like, I genuinely think the guys in this program do love Mark Adams. Now, if the donors don't, you know, at this point, it it shouldn't matter. Like, like you said, donors should not be deciding the fate of the program. And when they start deciding the fate of the program, you're doing something wrong. Successful programs don't let donors decide that stuff. Successful programs just find you know, stability in coaches. And Jack, I'm going to go back to your point. Like what coach does it have down years? I can name probably two coaches in college basketball that haven't had a down year that I can remember. And one is Bill Self and the other is Mark Few. And realistically, Mark Few, if he was playing in a power conference, he would have had at least one down season, if not multiple They'll get theirs when they come to the Big 12. Exactly. Like, it's so mind-boggling to me. Like, is this team struggling? Yes. And I know we've hit on the fact that we can't use the their young excuse forever. But in this conference, you it's hard to win when you're young. Because I'm just going to name off some pro, like some of the other Big 12 programs when the last time that they were realistically considered a young basketball team – 
So if we're going go look at somewhere like Iowa State, they were an extremely young team in Steve Prohm's last year, and they went two and twenty-two. But and yes, Prohm was forced out after that season, but I don't think that was fair for him. Steve Prohm won multiple Big Twelve tournaments, made multiple runs in the uh, NCAA tournament uh, at Iowa State, and yes, they're doing successful now with TJ, but. They were in a very similar spot with Prome year in and year out. It was just they started to get younger and they started to lose basketball games. Uh, I can't tell you the last time Kansas was considered a young basketball team because they've just been developing players. Baylor, the last time they were young, they weren't good. It was before they started go- becoming a top 10 team. They were middle of the road, uh, like 8-9 seed if you're lucky in the NCAA tournament. West Virginia, we just watched them go through a probably three, four years stint where they weren't making the tournament. They're starting to get back there now, but they're still kind of average and they're, and they're just now getting more experience under their belt. Then you have like Oklahoma state. The one year they've been relevant anytime recently was because they had Cade Cunningham and, and they cheated. So, exactly. Like they got, they got NCAA. I mean, sanctions. if we're being, yeah, if we're being honest, <laughs> Like, and then, you know, Kansas State, they were, when they had guys like Nigel Pack, and they were slightly improving year by year, but they were still very young every season. Dude, holy shit. Can you imagine if Nigel Pack was still on Kansas State right now? Like, exactly. And, like, think about that Kansas State team now. Yes, they brought in transfers, but they still have some guys that were there before, like Marquise Noel. Like, you're going to have turnover every year, but the thing is, Mark Adams this year, after, I have a good feeling that after last year and all the transfers he brought in, I feel like he wanted to have some continuity in his roster, and that's why he had somewhat of a bigger recruiting class combined with guys like Jalen Tyson coming in, you're retaining Bacho, you retained O'Banner, like, he didn't have that many roster spots to play around with this off season. And he filled them with guys that realistically should be doing more than what they're doing. Like you bring in Fardaz Amak. He's played two basketball games. Like Mark Adams cannot control that no matter how much he probably wants to. And you bring in guys like Kerwin Walton. We were expecting Kerwin to come in and be a sharpshooter out of the gate but he's still developing as a player. And that's not a bad thing. It's just facts. And you're not going to get your Adonis Arms, Bryson Williams types of guys every single season when you rely on the transfer portal. And I think Mark Adams knows that. And that's why he kind of wanted to go and get some guys to develop. But if he doesn't get the opportunity to develop them, then we're going to be saying, what the hell are we doing? Because it, it just makes no sense to why people would want to get rid of Adams after this season. Now, if he goes into next season and we do and we see the same shit, then fine. You know, then it's time to start talking about it. But it's just facts in college basketball. Every program is going to experience the shitty years. Like, hell, I can go back to uh, John Calipari shortly after he went to Kentucky. He won a national title with Anthony Davis. Two years later, they were losing to Robert Morris in the NIT. Like, it, this shit happens in college basketball, and if you pull the trigger too fast, I guarantee you 
that Mar- or that Kirby Hoka is going to be looking at this like program next year and having a lot of regrets because if you pull the trigger on Mark Adams after this season, I guarantee you Pop Isaacs isn't on the roster next year. Jalen Tyson's not on the roster next year. You lose your core and you lose any chance you have of trying to compete in the next two, three years minimum. If I if I could play just devil's advocate for a second here, and I Kendall, I'm truly interested in this. I'm not trying to argue a point. We talk about how talented this roster is, uh, and I want to hear both of y'all's opinion on it. Mike, if you can get it in before you have to run real quick. Um, you know, what is has the product just been that shitty? I mean, I understand we can't control injuries. Injuries are a bitch. It ha- but at this point, uh, I mean, you have to pretty much come to the fact that everyone's got somebody injured, right? So I know that it's our two, I mean, like you mentioned, Fardaz is our big guy down low, and Pop is our sharpshooter from deep, uh, like the guy who carried us through some games. Um but does this just speak to how shitty the fucking product has been on the court? I mean, you we can talk until we're blue in the face about how good Mark Adams is off the court. We know that's true. We saw, like you mentioned, we saw what he did before last season. How to get Bryson Williams and Adonis Arms. And yeah, those players are diamonds in the rough. You're not going to get that every offseason. I understand that. And I think most of the people listening understand that. But does that just speak to how fucking shitty the product on the court has been? Because it's been bad, y'all. Like, I know we weren't going to talk about, like, stat. We just got fucking boat raced in Baylor by by a score of 89-62. to 62. We were down by four at half. <laughs> and, we, and we lost by 27. Like, that's not good. Like, that's really fucking bad. So at what point are we start like yeah we know that he can do this off the court and that's great and I and you know and if he's great at keeping if he's good at keeping this roster together after this then you can't deny him anything off the court if he keep, I'll be honest in my point of view if we if he keeps half of this roster then give him whatever off the court but. At some point, we got to start asking the question about what's going on on the court. There is no offensive flow to this team. There's lack of effort at times that, like Mike mentioned, there's long stretches where there's lack of effort. This team lost last night because they couldn't fucking rebound. Like, granted, there there's definitely some stuff going on. Like, there, we probably shouldn't have even been in the game last night. Oklahoma State missed a lot of free throws. You know, they let them back in the game, whatever you want to attribute that to. Um, but we got to start talking. We, I mean, we can talk, like you said, till we're blue in the face about what we can do off the court. But holy shit, we, something's got to change on the court. Because whatever we're doing, regardless of how talented we are and whoever's in and out or whatever, I mean, yeah, we're young, but I mean, at least give some, at least give the coaching tools to win, you know? We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it. 
in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I got to run here in a minute, but I did want to say, right, like the real thing is um, it, it, if you're were if the, the reason we're going to make these decisions is truly based what's happening on the hardwood, think about it this way. Um, you will have to make all season changes, right? Like we the, this, this the things we're seeing are not all just the results of the injuries of the youth or anything like that, right? Like there's a bad offensive system in place. The coaching staff isn't making adjustments game to game. They're not able to inspire effort. They're not able to coach the rotation. The the, the decisions made for the, the the player rotations are just bafflingly bad, right? For for instance, like Daniel Botcher should never play the rest of this year. Not a minute. He is, and I love the kid, and this hurts, but he is unplayable. I mean, he is just I, I, he's too small. He can't dribble. He can't defend. He can't rebound. He can't shoot. It just ever everything you don't like. He literally should not be on a D one basketball court. And we're paying him fifteen to twenty minutes a game. Lamar Washington gets Oklahoma State. We were talking about this in Slack chat. Had it, had his worst game of the year. It happens. It was a freshman moment. It was bound to happen to one of these guys. It's happened to all of them really at this point, um, where they just have a game where they just can't get out of their own way. Every time Tech started to crawl back into the game, he gets sent back out and turns it over twice before they can get him back out. And I I sit here and I'm thinking, like, you're going to have to make changes in the offseason. You're going to have to. And you're going to have to figure out some things as a coaching staff to change your philosophy and inspire these guys and keep this talent in place. And those are real concerns. I do not know what the offseason will look like, but those are real concerns about how this will proceed, how it has to proceed to keep Mark Adams employed at Texas Tech. But the reality of the situation is is that, like, despite the fact that you just look like a bad basketball team, you've been competitive, right? And I, moral victories ring hollow, but, like, you're right there with a roster that's not that well-constructed, with a coach who's struggling to figure out any feel for it, with a young core, with top players injured, and you're still close, now, close is only good in horseshoes and hand grenades, so we, you know, we're not going to pretend that this is a win when you've only got one Big 12 win on the season and it was a miracle you got it. A miracle you got that win. But the reality is, is that it, as bad as and unfun as the product has been, you just are off of a Sweet 16 run. Is it not worthwhile to see if he can pull out of it? Right? Because if he does, right, you have a coach who's never going to leave Texas Tech guy who has no interest going anywhere else, a guy who will retire here, one of the great defensive minds in college basketball. And here's the thing. John Kyle Parr is not coming to Tech. Right? You're going to have to go take a chance on a guy like uh, the, the coach out of UNT. Those guys can work. There's th- Those coaches can pan out. But they fail as often as not. Ask Shaka Smart what it was like to go to Texas when you stop being able to run certain kinds of systems because the level of competition rises too high. Ask him. What it's like to try to do replicate success at a mid-major at a Power Five job, it, let alone this conference, which is only going to get worse when Houston joins, once uh, BYU joins, once um, Cincinnati's in. You know, I'm not worried about UCF basketball, but y- you get the picture. And that's before we even talk about the fact that there are serious conversations about bringing bring, bringing Gonzaga in, right? And like, you're taking a risk to do anything with a coaching change. And the, the safest option for probability's sake is to give a guy a third year. 
there are so few instances in which two years and done is enough to assess a program. This year's not fun. It's probably going to end ugly. It's going to keep being ugly. And it's going to be something we have to deal with each week. But if we don't trust the coach to pull out of the tail the nosedive after one year, then we shouldn't have hired him in the first place. Because what that means is that our decision makers, we as a fan base, pushed for a guy to come in who is so fucking dumb and bad at his job that we don't see any possible path forward for him after one bad season. And like – but to tell you guys, but I'm not ready to admit that as a program that we fucked up so badly. That's what we did, because we went to the Sweet 16. He did it with a roster of guys who really, you know, to be honest, on paper, less talented than this year's squad. This squad's got problems. It's got issues. He's got to coach better. His staff has to be better. A lot of things have to be better. But what 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 good does it do to say let's take a let's take a flyer on a guy who's never coached at this level and just see if it works out? Because here's the thing, guys, even though if you believe the donors are really closing their purse strings, if you believe that, you guys got to come in here and figure out how to play in a whole different weight class overnight and, and keep everybody in place. Because that's what Kendall talked about. You lose Jalen Tyson, Pop Isaacs, Lamar Washington, Robert Jennings. You lose these guys. I think Harmon has another year. You know, Bacha will be back and hopefully heavy and put the weight back on. Amac can come back. He will get a medical red shirt. Like, if you lose some of these guys... You're fucked, right? Like it, it, you will not be competitive next season with all, without a miracle. And you know those Kansas State miracles ain't laying around all over the place. You know that's 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 not common. I think that's what people don't get is they see this shit happen elsewhere and they think it's replicable all the time, but it's just not, guys. It's just not. This stuff is it's rare and it's exciting when it happens because it's so damn hard to do. And it's so impressive because it's so damn hard to do. So if you're here and you're sitting, well, what should tech do? What's the safest option? What's the best option? The option that has the highest likelihood to succeed is to give Mark Adams a third year. And then if you gotta move on, you've seen the full sum of his abilities. Okay, I understand that. If next year's even close to as bad as this year, he won't make it to a fourth. But firing him when you're one and one in terms of seasons. It just isn't – you're just asking for the risk-reward to be way out of whack. It's like going for it on fourth down at your own 20. Yeah, you might get it. It may pay off, but the odds are pretty good you're going to stab yourself in the foot. So why not just punt it away and hope for better down the line? You know, wait for that fourth and short on the goal line to take the risk. There's no sure thing. Tech, the guy out of UNT is probably Tech's best option to go to next. He ain't even close to a sure thing, folks. I mean, like I said, Cal Pari's not coming here. You know, we're not bringing Coach K out of retirement to Lubbock, Texas. There is no guy who we could hire who is guaranteed to win here. Mark Adams embodies everything about West Texas and this program and this university. And if he can't win here, then that is what it is. But I'm willing, I'm willing to tell you guys that we have to give that a chance. We have to. Because I think that the alternative is even if it works, it was such a massive risk. So, you know, again, I just hope whatever decisions made this offseason are made for reasons that are other than he pissed off the wrong guy. Because that's all this should be about. What happened on the hardwood? Do we think it'll get better? What's the risk of moving on? Now, I got to run. I'm going to let these two guys carry on. They're going to talk Lady Raider basketball stuff on the court. Um, they'll be all over this, all over the last 20, 30 minutes of this content. Jack, I'm going to let you take it away. Have fun, guys. Uh, I'll see you guys next, next time. Hopefully we can get the whole team back together for that for a full session. Appreciate it, Mike. Kendall, um, I'll pose a question to you now. Um, 
you know, I I understand, like like I mentioned, you know, we can talk until we're blue in the face about all the stuff that's happening uh, off the court, but there's you and I have talked about this at length. There's just some bad basketball being played. There is, but at what point do we, as fans, sit down? We put some insanely high expectations on a team that had a lot of freshmen coming in. We were relying, like, is Pop Isaacs fantastic? Yes. Like, we had multiple four-stars coming in, high-end three-stars like Lamar Washington, Robert Jennings. We might have... This is just my assessment. Now, should this team be better than what they are? Absolutely. Like, this this team is not a 1-10 in 10 team talent-wise. But at the same time, when you have a group of guys that major, like majority of these guys haven't played together and you have to throw into the fact a majority of these guys haven't played the college game together or the college game at all for that fact... Like, it sometimes in basketball, that's just the way things go. Like, especially when you're playing in a league as hard as the Big 12, you know, you can't just win with talent. Like, you have to be able – it's about execution. It's about all this stuff. And when, you know, there was so much turnaround on the roster, we saw – I think a lot of fans, we looked at this roster and we saw the talent that was on it without stopping to think for a second that this team doesn't know what it looks like to win. They don't. Like, Kevin O'Banner knows what it looks like to win. (laughs) That's one of the very few guys. I wouldn't even say Daniel Bacho knows what it looks like to win because he – sure, he was on the bench when we won games last year, but he wasn't out on the court. Jalen Tyson was on the bench, but he wasn't out on the court. He got to watch what these guys did, but it's one thing watching what they do and actually going out and doing it. Davion Harmon, as much as as good of a player as I think he is, go back and look. The dude has not been a part of winning basketball teams. Oregon, I'm pretty sure, didn't make the tournament last year when he was there. OU was having one of their worst stretches of basketball the last couple decades when Davion Harmon was there. So he hasn't experienced winning. And I think the year, like last year, I think that team, sure, maybe it was less talented on paper, but there was a lot of guys there that knew how to play winning basketball. Adonis Arms was on a Winthrop team that I'm pretty sure lost one game the year prior, and it was in the NCAA tournament against Villanova. Uh, Kevin O'Banner, the year prior to coming to Tech, went to the Elite Eight at Oral Roberts. Like, the team that was built up last year was full of people with winning mentalities that didn't care who was scoring. They didn't care who who was getting their stats. They just wanted to win. They had that dog mentality. I don't think this team has that mentality yet. And... That's not necessarily their fault. I think it's kind of on the coaches. Yes, it is. Like, that's a coaching issue. But at the end of the day, the players matter. And the what is happening on the court, Mark Adams can't go out there. He can't go out there and block out. 
He can't go up there and get rebounds. He can't shoot free throws. He can't move the ball around the perimeter. He can't, like, sometimes, especially the thing that bothers me most, you know, we talked about some of the on-court stuff, and I know we weren't going to get into recaps and stuff, but one thing we've been hitting on all year is on the offensive end. It seems like Tech is kind of just letting things flow and not running a lot of sets. The issue with that to me, that works with a lot of good basketball teams, but it doesn't work when you have a bunch, like, when you're the only guy I really see that truly tries to move off the ball is Jalen Tyson. And it works out for him a lot, but we're not seeing the type of movement that you should see out of like a good basketball team, whether it's a set play or not. Like if you're just in a normal kind of free flowing offense, players have to kind of make things happen on their own. It can't always be a set and we just don't have the guys that will make things happen. And you can be as talented as you want to be, but I just don't think a lot of these guys, I don't think the team's basketball IQ is super high. Um, I think there's a lot of intangibles that just aren't there to be a successful basketball team. And that's the stuff you have to look at and work on through the offseason. But like we've kind of hit on, it would be stupid to fire Mark Adams after one bad season if he doesn't get the opportunity after seeing what happened this season to try to work with them in the offseason and help them develop. Because if you bring in a new guy, and sure, you might retain a couple guys, but that that new coach, whoever you would bring in, would not have been in the locker room to get to know these players. And it, we'd just be right back to step one, right where we were this offseason. So it's like, right now, Tech is not in a great spot, but I'm willing to bet good, like, I would put some decent money on it next year, that if Mark Adams were to stay, he would retain a lot of this roster, and this team would be back towards the top half of the Big 12 next season, just because I genuinely think that, like Mike said, you know, you hate taking moral victories, but this team is still competing. There's a lot of teams that would have mailed it in at 0-9. There's a lot of teams that, you know, after taking an ass-kicking at Hilton like they did and an ass-kicking at Baylor that would roll over. But this team has responded. And, you know, they haven't won games, but, you know, like, you hate to take the little things, but, like, they're fighting and this team so easily could be sitting at like five and six right now in the conference. And that gets you into the tournament. And, you know, we just have to see how the rest of the season plays out. I do think they're going to pick up a couple more conference wins at home at some point. You know, we still get Oklahoma State at home and we still get to play Oklahoma and West Virginia again. I think there's wins there to be had. So... You know, you're not going to make the tournament. You're probably not going to make the NIT, but I think you still have the opportunity to end this season on somewhat of a high note going into next year to have us have a little optimism going forward. I can agree with that. And, um, you know, I hope, I just, I hope that, um, that tech can get it turned around and at least pull off one uh 
one more conference win. Um, if Tech were to lose out, um, it would tie the worst season in Big 12 play. Um, and it would be the worst season since the 1989-1990 season, uh, which was the next to last season, I believe, that Gerald Myers was the coach at Tech. Uh, they went 0-16 in conference play. Uh, this would be the Southwest Conference. They went 0-16 in Southwest Conference play and finished the season 5-22 and overall. It would be uh, Big Twelve wise. Um, it would be a tie for the worst season in team history uh, with the 2011-2012 team, which was coached by Billy Gillespie. They went eight and twenty-three overall and one and seventeen in conference. Um, Kendall, let's just jump into. Uh, these two th- these two games really quick. Um, not gonna go really into depth on them. Uh, we can just be you know it's the same problems. We already know it. Um, my one question for you actually is, um, did you see anything either in the game in Waco on Saturday or last night against Oklahoma State? Um, other than uh, effort, I guess that uh, impressed you. Did you see anything that, you know, stuck out to you on a personal note um, that, you know, kind of surprised you? Or maybe you were, you were really, uh, you really kind of surprised at how good someone played. There's one guy that I want to give the biggest shout out in the world to right now, and it's Jalen Tyson. Um, this dude, at the beginning of the year, we, we talked about it very frequently on here about how he wasn't finding his shot. He seemed like he was playing too fast. And we came down pretty hard on him. I'll be the first to admit it. And I I think you would, and I think Mike would. Like, we we were coming down, like, and he deserved it at the time. Like, he was not playing good basketball on either end. But in both games, really, he is starting to be able to shoot, like, create his own shot off the dribble. And I think we're seeing in the Texas tech offense that sometimes that's starting to look better because of that, because of Tyson finally being able to create his own shot when things are kind of fizzling. And he's also becoming an on-court leader that tech has so desperately needed and it started in the Iowa State game to me that dude led that comeback almost single-handedly you know he had four steals within a couple minutes he was getting to the rim and he was talking he was and he makes sure he helps his teammates all of that good stuff and there was a specific moment I know you were watching the women's game because you were covering on the Viva account but in this last game Lamar Washington I love the kid. He's had a very solid year up until yesterday. He was playing pretty bad. He was playing pretty awful, and he had been coming off a couple turnovers. He was going off the court. He he was hanging his head. I watched Jalen Tyson go over there. He kind of lifted his head up and just helped him by leading him because Tyson was in a similar situation last year at Texas. And 
you know, I like to see that Tyson is evolving because that's the type of development that you want to see in a season this bad. You at least want to see positive developments from some individuals that you know are probably going to be back in the next season. So to see what Tyson has been doing, there hasn't been a ton of positives in these last two games, but Jalen Tyson is definitely a very, very big positive for where the future of this program could be looking. I tweeted during the game or right after it ended. um, I said, uh, after this game, I'm convinced, this was on the Viva account that I tweeted this, I said, Jalen Tyson is our future. He should be the number one priority for this staff in the offseason. He has the intangibles, he has the ability, and more than all that, he has the drive and effort to be out on that court. Um, I meant it. <laughs> and I think that um, starting in that Iowa State game, I, I, I'm glad that you touched on that. I saw a switch flipped in that game. There have been some times where um, I don't want to say that his effort was lacking, but there are a couple times where I definitely made a point to talk about it in our work chat that, uh, you know, that he'd been a little slow getting back. There's there's one play, I can't even remember what game it was, they've all blended together, where he was out on a fast break and he got caught from behind because he was because he was taking forever. And and I pointed that out, and then um, that Iowa State game, a switch flipped. It was during that run that you were talking about where he had four steals within a couple minutes, and uh, the switch hasn't been turned off since. Uh, granted, I, I haven't watched a majority of the game from last night. Um, I was covering the women's game, which we'll get to here. Uh, before we sign off, but um, he never stopped in that Baylor game. He didn't care if we were down four, if we were down 24. Um, he was busting his ass the whole way, and and I really think that that, for me, uh, I guess call me old school or whatever, I'm, I'm still in my 20s <laughs> for now. For, for a couple more months, I'm still in my 20s. Um, but to me, uh, effort is a huge part of what you see. And and it just feels like for me, um, just watching this team and, and the way and the success that this program has had over the last, you know, five, six years, um, it all starts with effort. And I think that in this, in this system, and if it continues to be this system, uh, it's how you're successful. Um, it's been a thing with, you know, if you want to see the floor, you're going to play defense, uh, and, and then and then you can play offense. Um, we had a response uh, to, I don't know if it was last night or if it was after the Baylor game, I can't remember. I don't go through all the Viva things because some of the shit that people say is just obnoxious. Um, but the... I think we got a response, and I think Mike responded to it um, because someone said, "Can Steve Green this his JUCO offense needs to go? It doesn't work and at the D one level." Let me reiterate, and I'll speak for Kendall too because I know we agree on this wholeheartedly. 
I have yet to see Steve Green's offense this year. I've seen it in person. Kendall's watched hours of film on it. This is not Steve Green's offense. The motion offense is not Steve Green's offense. The motion offense has been a thing at Tech since Bob Knight was here in the early 2000s, and it's never changed. I think Tubby tried to get away from it, um, and he was on and he was on the up and up, really, right? You would say. I just wanted to kind of add, like, I genuinely th- if this just a couple things. A, I do wholeheartedly agree with you. Like, I know Tubby. He definitely seemed like he was trying to get away from it, but the group of guys he had, I just don't think he was really able to because he didn't have like. Oh yeah, abs- no, absolutely. You're right. Shooters You're right. To... And but Steve Green, if this was his offense, I can guarantee you right now, Jalen Tyson and Pop Isaacs would be getting hell of a lot better looks on the perimeter than what they've gotten. It almost seems like they can never get away from anything. And add Kerwin Walton to that too. Kerwin Walton would probably be averaging double digits in a Steve Green offense because that offense moves so freely and gets so many good looks for shooters that like it's so clear that this isn't his offense. And I can guarantee you one thing watching UNLV this year, that wasn't Barrett Peary's offense last year either. Like it's a fundamental problem within the coaching staff. And I think, you know, a lot of head coaches, I can't blame Mark Adams because a lot of head coaches, especially when they're defensive minded coaches, they don't want to take a bunch of risks. And I think the one downside to an offense like Steve Green's could be, it could cause some more turnovers, but that is not an excuse when we already turned the ball over the most in the big 12. If we you're going to turn we it lead, over. Yeah, we lead the conference in turnovers. So. Like, if we're going to turn it over, might as well make it worthwhile and get some damn good shots out of it when, the when like, the stupid passes pay off. Like, even if we, one of our stupid passes gets through, it doesn't lead to an open look. And that's, it, that's the thing that's dragging this team down to me because I think we've seen that defensively – they're decent, but they're not all there. So you need better offense than what we've gotten this year. And like just in the past years, when your defense isn't a top five defense in the nation, you got to score some points. And they're, I'm just sick that I have to deal with this problem, both in Iowa football and Texas Tech basketball. So it's a rough life that you've chosen. You know, <laughs> it's, it's not easy. It's terrible. Like, let me tell you, like, it's just, I just had a, had to watch an, our football offensive coordinator at Iowa give, be given a contract for, to get 25 points per game or else he's going to be fired. Hell, we might have to give that to Mark Adams and just tell him to go get like 65 points a game on like efficient numbers just to possibly see a change. It's like, uh, it's like Kyler Murray's, uh, film study requirement in his contract. Um, <laughs> um, I want to touch on something that, uh, we mentioned and it's cause I have this stuff up in front of me. Um, these are the numbers, uh, conference or front their stats for team stats. Um, overall team stats. Uh, this is for the whole season. This isn't just conference play. Um, I am kind of struggling to find something 
uh, stat sheet that will give me just Big 12 conference play stuff. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read off some stuff to kind of sh- tell everyone where we're at through what have we played even. Um, have we played 24 games? 11 total? games? 12, 12, 12, 12 no, I'm, 12? I'm talking conference. Oh, conference. oh, it's 11 games in conference. So 11, 11 games? We've, okay, so we're 1 in 10. Okay. Um, Tech is 7th in the conference. Out, these are out of 10, obviously. The Big 12 that has 10 teams. Um, uh, 7th overall in points per game at 74. Uh, 4th in the conference at 46.2% field goal percentage. Uh, so pretty good. 3-point uh, percentage. Back down in 7th at 33.8. Again, this is for all 24 games. Um, free throw percentage were eighth in the conference, 70.8% from the line. Uh, offensive rebounds per game, eighth at 10.4 offensive rebounds per game. Defensive rebounds were seventh, 24.3. Total rebounds, 34.7 per game. That is also seventh in conference. Assists, 13 and a half a game. That is also seventh in conference. We're jumping up to Tied for fourth with 7.9 steals a game with Texas. Uh, We're back to eighth with three blocks a game. We are first in conference. uh, I'm sorry. We're third in conference overall for all 24 games with 13.9 turnovers a game. And we are actually last in conference when it comes to fouls called against us. We We only average 15 fouls a game. My point is this. Um, we're in between 7 and 10 in pretty much all measurable statistics. Um, I think that that's a big teller, just even though you, like we've talked about on this episode, especially, you know, we've had injuries, we've had all this stuff going on. Um, but even when all the talent was on the floor, it, it does, it didn't really help all that much. Uh, granted, there there are some games that we looked great. We have one conference win. That <laughs> in that win, Papa Isaacs didn't play. Uh, neither did Dawes. <laughs> like, I mean, if we want to really like get into it, that's that's the truth of the matter. Um, but again, I want to talk about like we mentioned, like like Kendall mentioned the the fact that. I truly don't think that Steve Green has been able to uh, run his offense. And I don't think that Barrett Perry did last year either. For for what it's worth, uh, UNLV is averaging 76 points a game uh, this year in Barrett Perry's offense. Overall, they're averaging closer to 82 at is what it looks like here when it comes to conference play. Um, but tech is in conference play. Tech is the worst from three point range. And they're the wor and they're, I think they're close to the bottom from free throw range also. And when it comes to, uh, when it comes to overall points or I guess field goal percentage from, uh, the free throw line and three point land. Um, 
Kendall, I want to talk one more thing before we jump to the women's side for a quick minute. Um, looking ahead, this is a team that plays, you know, in the next five games, six in the next six games, four of their next six are against ranked opponents. Um, you know, they still have to play um, at West Virginia. They still have to play at Oklahoma. And their last game of the year is at home against Oklahoma State. Um, we have two in a row at home coming up. Um, Saturday against uh, Kansas State at home and then uh, Monday against Texas at eight o'clock on national TV on ESPN. Uh, no doubt ESPN's kind of regretting putting this one in prime time. Tech's really bad. Chris Beard isn't at Texas anymore. Um, I'll be honest from what, when I watched the game in Austin, it's still a rivalry game against Texas. Um, but the, extra chippiness is definitely worn off, I think, for both sides. Um, Tech really just wants to beat Texas because they're Texas now. It's not just... It's not a Chris Beard thing anymore. Um, Texas knows that Tech is bad, and so it's just a win that they should get. Um, Out of the next couple games... Or I guess I should... I'll go back to it. Out of the next... I'll call it four games... So that'd be at home against Kansas State, at home against Texas, at West Virginia, at Oklahoma. Um, which game do you see as a potential for the second Big 12 win? And what Which one gives us our best opportunity, would you say? I think it really depends. <laughs> Ultimately, if Vardas Amak ended up, like, miraculously ended up coming back, um by like the Texas game, I would say OU would probably be winnable if he could be healthy, but without him or pop, which it sounds like pop could be shut down for the year. Um, if I had to choose a winnable one, I would still say, OU just cause they're pretty close to being as bad as tech. Uh, like they, ever since they beat tech, it, they've, struggled pretty mightily them pretty sure they got the uh shit kicked out of them multiple times since we've played them but yeah by West Virginia they lost by 32 um so i think OU's probably the best but you said four of our next six were ranked it'll probably be five actually by monday after West Virginia just beat Iowa State so like, there's not an off night in this conference. So, but at but the same you, time, you, the way I, Tech's I, been playing. Don't forget. Uh, no, I, I was just saying, don't forget that OU also threw in, like, about a 30-point victory against the number two team in the country in that little run, too. It was their only, I think it's their only win since beating Tech uh, was, yeah. <laughs> was a win against Alabama by 30 points at home, which during the Big 12 SEC Challenge, which was crazy. Well, and that kind of, to me, that kind of plays at my point that I think Tech could be middle of the road 
in a lot of basically all the other power conferences. Like how Vanderbilt in the SEC is sitting at six and six, I think. So like, I I really think that we think this season is this team is playing much worse than they truly are because of the level of competition. But at the same time, Tech is still staying competitive, and if they stay close with Kansas State or Texas, um, I think they could pull off a victory against either of those teams just because. They aren't the best free throw shooting teams. Um, you know, Texas has had some trouble closing out games this year. Not a ton in the Big 12, but like they got dominated the first time against Kansas State, but they struggled to close against Oklahoma State. Um, they struggled to close against West Virginia, and they just flat out weren't good at Iowa State. So, there's definitely a win to be there. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but like the way they're playing, I definitely think they're going to have a chance in every game. So, but we could very well go 0 and 4 and get blown out in two out of the four. So, I really don't know what to expect out of this team. Yeah, and I think that that that's. I mean, like we mentioned earlier. Uh, th- this could be really bad going forward. Um, and we could lose out. I mean, to be quite honest, it's a very real possibility. Um, I would like to, the optimist in me, which isn't a whole lot, but there's some optimistic point in me that thinks maybe Tech can pull out a senior night win um, at home against Oklahoma State. Obviously, that will be... Um, Kevin O'Banner's last game. Um, and I think that might be it, right? Other than, I mean, it, I guess it depends on if Davion Harmon wants to come back. Um, but I want to jump across to a positive for basketball, and that's the women's team. Um, Lady Raiders are 16 and 8 overall four and seven in conference but uh firmly on the bubble for the for the uh women's tournament uh before the game last night before they lost in austin to texas by nine points last night um they were on the first four out uh for the women's uh tournament and a a loss on the road at a ranked opponent um that's not gonna really swing that that much um, I, I do think that the ladies need to win uh, probably a couple more games. Um, their next game is uh, on Sunday, I think. Is that... No, that's Saturday. So, uh, I guess Saturday at 2? Is that right? The 11th? Yeah. I guess, yeah, Saturday at uh, 2 o'clock on uh espn plus against uh kansas at home so um the ladies host kansas this weekend and they're wearing pink for the uh their breast cancer awareness uh game so that'll be a good one um but as i mentioned this team um chris agorlik has his team trending in the right direction overall um Brianna Scott is carrying this team. This is probably her last year at Tech. Um, 
I know, but behind her, uh, in terms of points, I, I touched on this in my article today, but uh, Bailey Maupin and Jasmine Shavers are the next uh, two leaders in points, and then it's Bryn Gerlich. Uh, Bryn Gerlich's in her last year or two, um, but uh, Bailey Maupin and Jasmine Shavers are both freshmen, and uh, Bailey Maupin's a true freshman, and she, I believe she's one of the highest recruits Tech has ever had for the ladies, and I think it's up there along lines of Krista Gerlich uh, and Cheryl Swoops, I believe. So um, she's up in that category of pl- of type of player. Uh, she's a stud, and I truly think that uh, before she leaves Texas Tech, she will be a uh, all-Big 12 first-teamer, if not conference player of the year. Uh, she's that good. Um Jasmine Shavers is very good too. She's a transfer from uh, Mississippi State. She redshirted last year, and uh, so she kept all four years. So this is technically her freshman year, also. Um, you know, like I mentioned, Bryn Garlic has been hot as of late. Uh, she's had a hell of a last four cup four games. Um, Riley McKinney is transferred from SMU last year. Uh, she can hit the deep ball. Uh, she's a she's a great defender as well, and, and I, like I said, I could just go down the roster. Um, this has really been the first season that I've really. Last year, I watched. I went to a couple of women's games, um, before I before I moved out of Lubbock, and uh, this year I've watched uh more games on ESPN Plus and whatever. And uh, this team. This team has gotten better, and uh, the program is trending up in the right direction. Uh, yeah, they lost last night to Texas, 80-71. to 71. Uh, They had a really slow first half. Um, tried to come back late. They scored 32 points in the last 10 minutes. Uh, and tried to come back, but fell nine points short. Um, I think that um, this women's team is, is poised for... Uh, is poised for a hell of a hell of a run over the next couple of years. I think Krista Gerlich is definitely the right uh, coach to lead this team, and um, you know it's the it's the dreaded. I mean, it's not dreaded, but it's uh, it's the Texas Tech sports flow, right? Like you 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 can't get um, you can't get both basketball teams playing well at the same time. Um, and it's just like for the men, you can't have a good basketball team when you have good football. And um, it's just, it's, it's a never ending cycle for tech. Um, the one concept, though, uh, at least on the men's side for tech, is, has been uh, baseball over the last 10 years. So, um, speaking of that, baseball starts next weekend. Uh, it's in eight days from today. Uh, baseball preview comes out tomorrow at 1 p.m. on the site and on Twitter. Be on the lookout for that. Um, put some good info in there for y'all. Hope y'all can get a chance to read it. Um, tech's deep this year. They're young, but they're deep, and the schedule's weak. So um, just a little, some cliff notes from that one. Um Kendall, I'll go to you. Um, I don't know if you've paid attention to the ladies that much. I know you were covering uh, the game last night. 
the ladies look good. The ladies are like like I mentioned, they're four and seven in conference, but they're sixteen and eight overall. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but this is the best start for the women since uh, through um, twenty two games. This is the best. I'm sorry, through twenty games, it was the best start. Um, fifteen and uh, five was the best start in. Uh, was the best start in uh, for the women in ten years. So, um, are you going to watch the games, Kendall? Have you have you watched any games? Are you? Uh, I guess my questions are: Have you watched any games? And if so, uh, what's been standing out to you on the women's side? Um, I've been able to tune in for a couple. Um, I was actually kind of watching last night's game and uh, the men's game simultaneously for a little while. Uh, one thing that's noticeable, uh, this team fights. Like, you know, last night the game wasn't particularly close and it, it just seemed like they were a little outmatched at points, but that didn't stop them. They were still fighting and... That's like, as Texas Tech fans in any sport, that's kind of the the Red Raider identity to me. It's just a program that, you know, even if you might be a little outmatched talent-wise or anything, you're still always going to fight. And I think they've shown that quite a bit this year just when I've tuned in. And, you know, I think that... There's definitely winnable games left on the schedule, and if they can get into a, the tournament, that would be a huge step forward for the program. And I think that I'm very glad that just in general, people have been patient with the women's program because it's been pretty obvious that Krista Gerwich has been like taking steps forward and slowly building what we're seeing now. But, you know, that just kind of brings me back, like, with what people are doing to Mark Adams. I'm very glad that didn't happen with her because, you know, a couple years prior they had been slight, they had talent, but didn't kind of live up to what you would think. They struggled at times when they, when you look at their roster, you probably think they shouldn't have like they had one of the best players in the nation last season and there was a lot of times that they didn't look too hot um but you know this year it's a fairly young team and they've taken some big steps forward already like I think the sky's kind of the limit especially in the big 12 I mean with Baylor not being the powerhouse that they once were uh the conference is a lot more wide open now so I think I do think the sky is the limit for this program because we've seen at its best what it can do, like if history tells us anything. So um, I think the program's going in a fantastic direction, and I think the only direction they're going to keep going is up. You know, I agree with that, and I think that um, I think that the, the women are in a really good spot. Um, if you haven't checked out a women's game yet this season, I, I would highly encourage you to do so. Um, like I mentioned, like I said, I went to I went to a couple last year before I moved from Lubbock. Um, 
I'll be honest, there's not a really high amount of student attendance, which should change. Um, but if you're a student, you can get down in the bottom five rows, like within 10 minutes of tip, uh, nothing like the men's. Um, but if you're, you know, just a normal, uh, you know, Lubbock resident, uh, the tickets are cheap uh, for the lower bowls. No one, uh, and it's it's a good time, and the women deserve the support. Um, it's it's been a rough year on the men's side, so it's good to see the women doing well. Um, but the but the women are still firmly in the hunt for the tournament. So um, if this team can get a tournament berth this year, it'd be so big for Krista Gerlich moving forward. Getting more recruits, she's already killed it on the recruit trail. Like I said, she got Bailey Moppin. Um, Bailey Moppin was the number fourteen ranked um, uh, player at her position in the country, not just in Texas, in the country. Uh, she was a McDonald's All American nominee. So, um, Krista Gerlich is making huge strides in the recruiting trail. Um, but it's good to uh, to see the women started starting to succeed. Um, I think with that, we're going to go ahead and wind it up here. Um, you know, we're right at a little uh, less than an hour and a half, and I think that um, this is a perfect place to stop. Um, next week, we will be back talking about uh, Kansas State and Texas. Hopefully, possibly, a couple wins. Um, also, we will be talking about, um, at least I'll be covering uh, the women uh, playing Kansas and uh, at Oklahoma next week as well. Um, also, again, next, fri- next Friday, uh, 1 p.m., uh, first pitch for baseball season against Gonzaga. It's, I believe it's a four-game series at home. Uh, playing Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and um, you know it's it feels good to get back on that diamond. Feels good to see the kids back, guys back on that diamond, lace them up. Softball is starting this week as well. Um, they're not going to have a home game until March, I don't think, which is kind of crazy. They're starting off with I think twelve, ten to twelve games on the road uh, in the in like the early season tournaments and stuff for softball, um, but. Remember, we got a new coach over there in uh, Coach Snyder, and uh, we'll see how he has uh, the softball looking early. Um, but Tim Tadlock will have the guys ready next weekend. Um, we're gonna see. We're gonna get. We're gonna learn real quick, uh, kind of what this team's about. Uh, just kind of see what the early season uh, pitching rotation looks like as well as the lineup. There's a lot of different ways Tadlock could go with this. Um, A lot of young talent, and I'm really curious to see how this goes. I'm super pumped for it. Um, It also gives me a reason to not really pay attention to the men's basketball as much. Um, But again, we want to thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, It was Michael, uh, Kendall, and Jack here with you, uh, and uh, we're just really glad that you joined us. And we appreciate the support. Uh, We'll be back next week. Wreck them.